you know that in the final result, you know, it'll be one pixel that will be, you know, F, 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 F instead of F6, F6, F6. You know that that's the case. Yeah. They probably know that's the case, but it's not about that at that point. They're, they're the director. You just do it. Yeah. If it's a client and they're paying for your time to do that, that's when I think you're like, let's have a conversation about scope creep. cg podcast this is the podcast where two cg artists document their journey about getting good at cg art along the way we're going to, we're going to be sharing some of the things we've learned and some of the mistakes we've made so that you don't have to my name is Jaden, and this is chris hi how's it going <laughs> we have been in a bit of a moving mode so the last week's sort of just been computer cables and furniture for me um not moving You're anywhere moving. but not not moving apartments, just uh, you know the whole changes as good as a holiday thing. Oh right, so you're cleaning up a room or something like that. Well, it's lockdown, and we've been finally given the roadmap out of lockdown, but it's a very it's a very long road, and so deciding yeah. that we were going to live the way that we've been living up until this point seemed a little bit cognitively difficult. So we just made the decision to move which room our bedroom was in and which room was the study so we just sort of swapped spaces how good is it every time you just go into your bedroom and you you just reorganize it like you go in there and you just reorganize your room and you just get like that high of just like yeah this is this is great this is a new beginning for me my bed is in a different corner life is gonna be better from now on yeah like i've always like again, uh, coming from Christian's undiagnosed ADHD corner, I've always thought that when you have a disorganized space, you have it. I find it harder to focus, and so like before I start a new project, I need to clean everything around me and have it in order, and then yeah. I can start. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Um, I actually, I took a I took a day off yesterday, like a just a day to not do any art because I've been doing art for nearly 24 hours straight for the last how long I've been in lockdown I think it's probably getting close to I think two months now and so I was just like look I, I need I need a day to just not think about art or not do art and so I slept in mm. I rolled around for a while and then eventually at some point I just completely cleaned out my room just reorganized the cupboard and man i feel good (laughs) but there's always this moment when you're like elbows deep in the you know back io of your computer and you're just like i didn't have to make this problem for myself but i did and now this cable's wrapped around that cable that one's around my neck and my ankle's stuck in a power outlet (laughs) And at that point, you're like, okay. And you just press the pause button, 
And just like go and have some lunch or have a coffee or something and just come back later because... Yeah. You know, this isn't what we're actually talking about for the episode, but it is... There has been a lot of studies that have shown that the quality of the space you're in, whether it's the sort of light that it gets or how clean it is or whatever or how big it is, does have a uh, impact on your mental health and productivity so well that was actually the motivating factor behind well one of them behind shifting spaces is that we wanted to we realized that our bedroom was getting the most sun at the times that we wanted to be sort of doing some lighter work but we were never in our bedroom because we just sort of closed the door and go into the other room for most of the day and so we wanted to get the sunniest side of the house being where we actually did all of our work yeah, I've got my computer at a north-facing window, and for those of you in the northern hemisphere, down here in the southern hemisphere, the north is where you want, because that's where the sun's coming in. So mm. I get that, like, around midday or mid-morning, I'll get, like, a nice blast of sunlight on me, which is, it feels really nice to get that sunlight on me, and makes me want to go outside, but yeah. what is really ir- irritating is when the, the light goes onto my screen, and I'm like okay, I've either got to close the curtains or deal with this. Yeah. We get golden hour in the morning because we face east. So we get golden hour and then we get, you know, dingy Melbourne haze until 5.30. (laughs) Rip. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty pretty Gucci uh, all day around for me, which is pretty nice. I just have a nice view out to a tree canopy. So that's... Well, that's hardly unintentional if I recall. But, uh, yeah, it's just interesting because it, it, what was a weekend job turned into a complete, like, beginning of the week through job because we had to deconstruct all of the furniture because it's a tiny apartment and we don't want to ding all the walls. So we oh. had to deconstruct everything, move it carefully, swap it all around and then pack it back up, move all the electronics and then figure out how the new space was going to work. So we didn't think through moving everything back into the other space. We were only planning for the sunny space. And so uh, by that point, we just had a collection of furniture that we didn't know how it was going to work in a space that needed to be shared for several different functions. And we ended up just looking at it and saying, that's a tomorrow job. And I ended up putting the bed together, which I thought was a feat of, you know, self-control because I was just going to sleep on the floor otherwise. But uh-huh. the project got a little bit bigger than I'd originally intended Wow, that's sort of familiar of what today's uh, topic is. That's scope right, guys. Creep. Today we're talking about scope creep. Yeah, yeah. Segway and, man strikes again. Oh, yeah. And actually, before we move on from that, you know, sleeping on the floor is great. Like, when I was at uni, I was either <laughs> sleeping on the floor on a mattress or I went and stole a bunch of milk crates and I just had a milk crate, milk, milk crate base bed. And hey, it worked. I am that person, except I am also now married. <laughs> yeah, that ain't gonna fly. That doesn't fly anymore, no. So Yeah, that flies up until you're about like 25, 26, something like that. And then it's like, yeah. Her idea of glamping is a four-star hotel. <laughs> anyway, for today's actual topic of whatever it was. Today's topic is scope creep, as I alluded to earlier. Yes, um, you could probably just tell my brain shut down then. So yeah, scope creep. The 
reason that I think we're talking about this today is that we've both seen it happen where over the last little while we got into projects that just sort of got out of control and not that we couldn't complete them, but it gets to a point where you look at the over under of actually completing them and you've kind of already gotten everything out of it that you're going to get except the practice in finishing it and you can get that practice quicker the more rapidity of the project that you do and so like we talked about last week sometimes it's better to have smaller more contained projects and that's kind of what both of us have moved on to doing in the last little while but we wanted to talk about how scope creep happens what you can do to avoid it and why it's not necessarily inevitable but how it can get away from you without you noticing oh yeah it scope creep is that theme that just it gets me every single time i for me it's something that is inevitable unless i am sitting there being like scope creep is going to happen unless i actively try to prevent scope creep happening i don't know if that's the same for everyone else but for me it's like okay yeah. How do I control this? Would you would you make a differentiation between scope creep and overrunning timelines? As in, like, I've noticed that yeah, it happened I to would. me yesterday. I, I time box stuff, so I know when I'm doing a thing, and I know when I'm supposed to finish that thing and move on to the next thing, but the completest in my brain sometimes doesn't let me do that. It just sits there and says, oh, but you're doing so well on this. Keep doing this. Don't use your executive function and try to move on to starting another thing. Just keep doing this. Um, and I think in there is the same motivating factor that le- leads you into scope creep. But I think the two are slightly different because it's like project scope creep in size versus focus scope creep in time. Yeah, they are different. I think, wanting to be that sort of perfectionist and taking it to the next level is kind of a form of scope creep sort of but then there's also like oh yeah i my friend asked if i wanted to go play split gate and we spent 12 hours on there playing that and valorant for nine hours and then we did that for a week and now my project is a month overdue whoops (laughs) and i don't have any deadlines so yeah whoops yeah so Whereas time boxing in when you're actually applying focus to the problem can help minimize timeline and perfectionism scope creep. Do you think that there's something you can just apply broadly to project planning that stops it from ballooning out of control? Uh, yes, I'd say you've just... I think if it's something where you're just trying to like get good and you're just trying to practice something over and over, I'd say, and this is sort of from my own point of view. So we talked about, I think I talked about this last week and I don't know, maybe the week before, but probably not, uh, where I have shifted from doing a big art sort of environment project where I just wasn't at that point where I could actually do that. And so I scaled back. And I've just, I'm doing a, a three-day iteration of, a, of props. And so the intention is at least uh, first day is concepting, second day is modeling and unwrapping, third day is texturing, 
the reality has come out that first day is texturing, modeling, and unwrapping. Then the next two days are texturing, which is you know, better because it gives me more time to polish those textures. Mm. Uh, and from my experience, I've done, I think, three now. No, yes, no, yes. No, yes, I am up to I'm up to my fourth one at the moment. Uh, so I've done like a my first was a Japanese stone lantern, then like it was a sort of dwarven kind of beer mug, then it was a wooden battered shield, and now I'm doing a treasure chest. And are you and gonna so upload those anywhere? I will so upload them. Uh, the good they, listeners and I can have a look. <laughs> yes, yes, I will upload those. They are going to have a little bit more polish done to some of them. Uh, the first one is pretty dog crap, so I'm not going to polish that one. But I'm going to polish Fair the enough. other two, and I'll show the unpolished and the polished, uh, just so you can see where it got to. Um, but that at sounds some point, like a bit of a art station blog post in the making. Uh, yeah, it might be. That's what I am thinking. Maybe I'll start doing an art station blog. So yeah, I'll let you guys know. But anyway back on topic i'm just uh, saying that it, it sounds like the process is the thing that's keeping the like, so your project itself is the meta of doing these smaller props which is hard to balloon out because within that is like this fractal process of taking something from beginning to end and then starting again so maybe there's something there about scope creep whereas if you break it down into small repeatable steps then it's just a matter of how many of those steps you do and there's no way to sort of let that balloon out and not notice. Yeah, so it's... What I've noticed is setting the expectation of doing this small project in three days really helps me to stop my scope creep and the more I do it, the more in that early planning phase I'm thinking about how to prevent scope creep. So when I... On the first two projects, I was really kind of just like, oh, yeah, I'll add that, why not? Yeah, yeah, why not add that? Now for these latter two, I've kind of been thinking, oh, I mean, that's really going to be pushing it to get that done. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to add this in, but I don't know if I'm going to have time to polish it. So, you know, it's on the back anyway, so whatever. Or I might be like, look, I'm not going to add this in because from my last experiences, I didn't get time to finish that. So... I'm going to mitigate, not mitigate, but I'm going to avoid having things left undone. So I'm going to pull the scope back to something that I know I can manage in that amount of time. And yeah, that, that's me, the key though, isn't it? That's the experience to know how long each thing is going to take. I think yeah. that's that's really the key because... I ran into this a while back as well when I was doing, I was trying to do a one hour block out. I had a, I had an exercise that I was doing where I wanted to do a block out for an animation that I took from, you know, rig and T pose to most of the key poses within one hour. Hmm. And it was working really well when the scope of that ballooned out was when I started liking them. And I wanted to take them through to something final. But because I had only planned for one hour to do the block out, what started to happen was that because I had an, a greater ambition for what it was going to be, I started putting more poses in. And the more poses you put in, the time comes out. 
And if you haven't been over that process a few times, it's very easy to put in something that then makes it so that you you either don't finish it, which sometimes is a hard thing to like mentally look at when you're after a finished thing, mm. or it you just aren't able to you know hold in your head the possibility that it might not fit within the time you've allowed it because you don't have the experience to know how long that's going to take. And the real ballooning out of those projects was when instead of just leaving them as blockouts, I wanted to polish them to upload somewhere. And so I started polishing the first one. And then like three weeks later, I was huh, still polishing the first later. one. It's animation, three man. Weeks later. It's animation, man. Uh, look, you know, what? There, there is justification in that, that you thought, okay, I'm going to do these one hour things. And then you extrapolate one of those and go, okay, polish to be portfolio piece. So there is justification in that. But, but the thing is I, that I'd put a, I had put enough in that block out to warrant three weeks of work. Anybody who's done animation knows that you can take a lot of time and it can still look like unfinished three weeks in. That's, that's not actually that surprising. The surprising thing is the value you actually get out of that exercise and it's the practice finishing that you're trying to derive from that. And so I yeah, stopped doing right. that for a while and I actually went out with the intention of doing a longer project. That felt mm. better for a while but then you realize that all you're doing is justifying how long each one takes. Huh. And so yeah. when there is justification for it taking longer, it's easy to keep justifying that past and re- reasonability. Hmm. You know, what, what I think about doing these smaller projects and learning how long it takes to be able to do these things, I think it's really good experience for before you get into a studio job to be able to know how long it's going to take you to do things so when someone in the studio says hey can you do blah blah blah," you can actually say yep cool that'll take me uh you know a day two days three days yeah whatever it is and And that's 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 really valuable what what directors or you know creative directors really want to know is of course they want things done quickly but if you tell them that you can get it done in a day, but you're, you're low-key in your head thinking, oh, man, it's going to take a couple of days. Oh, yeah, they want to know that. They would rather know that now they, than know it when you don't achieve it in a day and then they have to move a ton of other things around. Yeah, yeah. It's like, eat that frog. You know, just <laughs> tell them. Tell them up front that it's going to take you how long it's going to take you. Uh, and, you know, the only way you're going to learn to know how long it's going to take to do these things is by doing them and by doing them at a repetition. And And it is a learning process. You don't have to do that immediately. That's sort of what I was getting at by saying it's experiential based because I know now from that experience that where I am in my intermediate state is I can definitely do this stuff. I've done this stuff. I've proven that to myself and other people. What I need to work on is speed and not only speed, but expectation of speed. So like being able to judge how long it will take and being able to account for that because if it's still a mystery in your future, that's when scope creep happens because if you don't know where the end goal is, you have to go in every direction before you find it. Yes, definitely. That That is what happened with me for, for that environment project that I was doing is that 
when I first started that environment in the part of the course, I had these deadlines where it's like, okay, well, I don't have enough time to polish this, so I've just got to do that and this and this and this just to get it done so I can just show it to the teacher and then I'll polish it later and it shouldn't be too long. It should only be a week of extra polish, right? Uh, but then, you know, I started again and I started going back to the replanning phase and I redid a whole bunch of stuff. I re-unwrapped things, a whole heap of remodeling. I basically started the project again. Mm. And since I didn't have that constraint and that structure of the course, uh, scope creep ballooned yeah. real fast. And, and at that point, it's really easy to notice because you've seen the same project within a constraining structure and without a constraining structure. Yeah, and the difference was night and day. You know, stark. Yeah, yeah. The where, where I got, where I got it to, or where it is now, it is a a better quality than you know, where it was at the course. But it has taken me way too long to be able to do that. But now yeah. that I've peeled back and I'm getting this experience of just, uh, you know, whacking the same nail over and over, you know, just getting getting things done i think that when i go back to do another project of that scope or that you know level of detail i think it'll be much faster for me because i will have an expectation of how long each thing is going to take me to do and i think that is probably a really good thing for potential environment artists to know is that if you want if you want to like kit bash things up, that's fine. But if you want to start making, you know, everything, you want to start doing environments and you want to make most of the props in the environment, then you first have to start off with prop making where you've got to figure out how long it's going to take you to do each thing in the environment. And the, so the that's way, what I'm really pulling back to do now. Yeah. The, the way that I've always addressed that sort of thing in relation to scope creep to a greater or lesser degree because I, obviously I've had different levels of success um, but I've, I've always been I, I can't remember whether it was advice that I was actively told or whether I just derived it from a couple of circumstances but the words have you done it before come to my head and if you think have I done it before and the answer is no then you don't know how long that's going to take and you need to cut it like it's you know gonna eat your arm off if you don't yeah like the, the 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 idea being that if you don't know if you haven't done it before like do not plan to do a 60 minute long animated you know hand animated <laughs> uh, project with painted backgrounds if you've never done a short film don't do a short film if you've never landed a shot you know yeah yeah exactly it's you know you've got to learn the uh some of those more micro details uh, before you, you know, jump like that. You gotta, you gotta learn to walk before you can learn to run. You know what I mean? <laughs> there is Wisdom another element. Good CG podcast. <laughs> there is another element to that though, which is when you're working with other people. Sometimes the scope creep is not within your control in that way. Because mm. the industry term is pixel fucking, <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of what the time what happens is that the person in control of the decisions isn't the person in control of the work. Mm. And so 
what they have in their head and what you do are not necessarily jiving. Mm. And that's where that communication comes in, where you say, look, dude, bro, buddy, buddy old pal, I know you want this tomorrow, but it's you're not going to have it until the day after because uh, it's not going to be done to the quality that you want because mm. I need to get more experience. And so yeah, that's, well, it also that's depends where... on whether you like who the client is. Like, is this a freelance client or is this a director at a studio or is the this the production manager who is accountable to the director of a studio? Like, it it depends on who you're talking to. The level of you know, put up or shut up you can do. Because if you're yeah. talking straight to the director on a project and they say, like, you know, change this anastropic metal here to reflect when it glints off the, you know, motion blur in this particular scene and you know that in the final result, you know, it'll be one pixel that will be, you know, F, 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 F instead of F6, F6, F6. You know that that's the case. Yeah, they probably know that's the case, but it's not about that at that point. They're they're the director. You just do it. Yeah. If it's a client and they're paying for your time to do that, that's when I think you're like, let's have a conversation about scope creep. I think it really depends. Yeah, like you said, on the context of who it is, but I, I think for a lot of it, it also comes down to how you say it depending on you know who you're saying these to if it's really specific things where it's like okay yeah change you know change the roughness of this to be whatever then that's you know fine but if you're starting out and creating i don't know a new asset or a new animation i think it really just depends on you know how you say it to who if it's a freelancer kind of thing it's more like you've got to handle it more like a business sort of person whereas i think if you're working in a studio you can be a little bit more lenient say look yeah i'm still sort of developing and you know it's just going to take me a little bit more time to learn how to do this whereas you don't want to sort of let off on that as a freelancer and the thing is that when you look at scope creep both of those situations are situations with built-in accountability when we're talking about personal projects and you remove that accountability, it's not a question of how you address the scope creep. It's about noticing it in the first place. Do you have any, <laughs> yeah. do, you, yeah. do you have any sort of like ways apart from just like eliminating it by making the shorter projects that, that you found help you notice when maybe you're making decisions at a particular level of detail that don't serve your final intention? Um, I think I think there's a couple of things. The first one would be I'm thinking about adding things that aren't included in my concept. Mm. I think, you know, plan out, have your concept. Have that all yeah. planned out of, you know, how it, not only how, for me, say how the asset's going to be, but also, you know, how it's going to be presented. It's going to be on a turntable going to have like a little mini environment or whatever whatever have that all thought out so that 
you don't have to do any of that level of thinking later on. It's just yeah. execute, execute, execute. If you're going plan, 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 execute, execute, problem solve, control Z, control Z, plan, yeah, that sort of thing. That's definitely where scope creep is happening. And that is either because you didn't, you know, have a thorough enough planning stage or, uh, you know, maybe ADD brain later on is just <laughs> going wild. I, I don't really know what the cause of that is, but... T- to be animation specific for a moment, I actually noticed this when I started working with constraints and selection sets. I noticed that that was always where the project not necessarily not necessarily ballooned, but stalled, and the level of problem solving I had to do was what actually crept out because I had come up with all the artistic decisions. He's going to go over here. He's going to think this thing. He's going to pick up the ball. He's going to throw the ball, you know? Mm. But what I hadn't considered was the mechanics behind that. Like the ball is going to need a constraint network that allows him to pick it up without being influenced by a space on his hand before that point, you know? That stuff seems intuitive, but the way it's built, it doesn't matter what program you're in, it's always, it's set out in a way that requires just that additional, like, you know, Mac um, rainbow wheel spinning, <laughs> you know, like where you just like sort of uh, stall out for a moment and you're like, the uh, Mac spinning uh, wheel of death. When I, know, man, like, I, when I had a Mac, that was, that was a great way to ruin my day. And the thing is, they're so fast these days that you don't see it unless something's gone really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and that's but, kind of the case with the animation as well, because you get to this point, you're like, I know what I planned to do. It was constrain this to that. But what I didn't do is take the secondary step of being like, which constraint and which one is constrained to what? And when it comes across, it has to hit this thing. Do I need another constraint for that? And if so, how am I going to blend between the two? Stuff like that, planning out your selection sets, like uh, which controls are going to need to be in the same groups to make it easier to lay down keyframes. Just like little procedural things that, again, it circles all the way back around. If you don't have the experience to know that you're going to run into that problem, or if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're going to hit that point every time the little rainbow wheel will start spinning. And that's when you spend a nosebleed. Yeah. Blue, blue screen of death, red ring around the iris. Uh, yeah. um, that's for the 360 generation. Yeah. Um, but y- you just stop and then all of a sudden the plan is out the window because the new project is figure out this new problem you've run into. Yeah. And so I feel like that means that f- maybe my advice, best advice I can give for controlling scope creep from my experience is account for what is accountable and then never make the same mistake twice. Or at if least you, try your best not to. Well, solve it if it becomes a problem. It's like how... Mm. like I always, I always recommend that people don't change the default shortcut keys because it makes learning stuff slower. Because when you look at a resource, then you have to do that mental arithmetic of, yeah. oh, so he's pressed this, so I need to press the shortcut that I've moved on my crazy you know, modular setup that I made. Or sometimes if you 
you know, set a new shortcut, it will break another shortcut. So you'll go to do a shortcut that you found online. You've got to do that shortcut and it doesn't work because you changed it. Or it does something else entirely. Yeah. Like my point with that is that if, if you do change your shortcut keys, you're adding a barrier between you and the thing. Mm. If you don't understand how you're going to lay out your constraints, you're adding a barrier between you and the thing. If you don't, uh, give me a painting one. What? Oh, give, me, um, give me one for painting. What's something that can come up with it if you don't plan? Uh, I don't know. How are you going to do uh, your baking, I suppose? Right. So you know how to bake. You've baked before, but you haven't planned how you're going to bake this. And then you realize that you've got, you know, an internal volume, right? So you mm. need you actually need a cage and you haven't used cages before. Yeah. And then you have to try and figure out how to get a good result with that and also not get too good a result that it's going to take you nine years to actually get it. So all of a sudden there's some ambiguity there. And so you, it's better off when you're in that exploratory phase to stop, figure that out. In my case, I would write it down so that I had a process. And then whenever you run, run into that again, you now have a process to address that. And that way you don't end up going down this rabbit hole of scope creep. So I think that... Procedurally, I think that ends up a little bit more like the the time-based scope creep that we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. But it is still scope creep because it makes the project girthier, you know? <laughs> girthier, yeah. Like, I think baking is probably a good equivalent for me for that where I am eternally trying to figure out the way, the best way to bake for me and... Honestly, like the, the way that's best for me is in 3D coat, but I'm too cheap to buy 3D coat, at least at this point. So I'm using <laughs> Marmoset, um, which is still fantastic, uh, better in some ways, but preferred for me is 3D coat. And so when I was getting started on these uh, little sort of projects, I was really, I knew that baking was going to be a big obstacle for me. So I just went and thought okay how am i going to uh do these bakes what, what's the best thing that's going to to go and so really the first one was just experimenting with different bake types i think i did do it a little bit in 3d coat because i've had i still had like one or two days left on my free trial and then i was trying out blender stuff and then i was trying out uh marmoset and then i think I worked it out. I thought, okay, Marmoset's the best way to go to get the results that I'm most happy with. And so once I had figured that out and I did a bunch of experimentation for all of my other little props that I'm doing, I still follow that same process because baking has always been a thing that has really caught me up. And Mm. this is like the first time I've really thought, okay, I need to figure out a process for my baking so that I actually... I, I can just say, when I get to the baking stage, I can go, I go oh, cool, time to bake. You know, get the bake done. Rather than being like, oh, shit, okay, time to bake. Uh, I guess okay, I'll what send do I do? it over here. Maybe, oh, do I need a curvature map? It's like, like, oh, is that really better than this one? Okay, let me have a look. Where am I going to save these out to? I guess temp 3330XXX. Tempy, tempy, tempy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I've done that. It's like, okay, cool. I my, my baking is not an issue anymore. Mm. 
it's it comes down for me to accounting for the accountable like the 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 way that i like to stop scope creep in its tracks in the more traditional sense of scope creep where the actual end goal becomes larger than you can actually realize in a realistic amount of time Mm. is to a put end dates on it yep just like i time box when i like my work sessions i like to put end dates on stuff because if i have an end date then it's sort of like it's like pulling the scale slider on levels at like the the midpoint the mid gray sort of evens out and you know exactly where your midpoint is yeah you know what you have to get done before the end yeah which puts a little bit of hustle in your bustle <laughs> the other thing is to keep it visual like i do like to make a project map and print that out and have a bit sometimes it's a list sometimes it's a spreadsheet but i just like to have that kicking around my studio so that i've got something to check off as i work down it i think yeah for me the equivalent of that would be just my concept really like you for, for doing things like props the concept you do is really it is your project plan it's just a visual and creative project plan i think mm. and um, yeah and, and that'll take a number of forms like it's it's a map in more yeah. ways than one yeah do you do you remember back in the day when we first met yeah we we first met doing uh an environment project at uh this at the school we went to mm-hmm. um and it was us and two or three other uh, productive members, and <laughs> and we 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 came up with this idea. I can't remember what it was for. I think it was like a night off tree, a night off environment, or something like no, that. No, it was it was a sky pirate floating island for a uh, Unreal Engine four. It was sky vikings. Sky vikings is what we did, right? We did sky yeah. vikings. But we had some other ideas, and I think one of them was like, because the whole year was assigned an environment with different themes, and we yeah. were hand-painted texture in brackets, like WoW style or something like that. And yeah. so me really wanting to do that was just foaming at the mouth. <laughs> and and I, I remember distinctly one of the ideas we were throwing up was like a, a night healthy kind of theme, I think. Mm. And one of the ideas was having like this big tree type thing. Mm. And I distinctly remember our teacher just going, yeah, guys, that's, that's way too big. Like, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it was like a, it was like a floating, like Yggdrasil thing. Like, whereas before it was just like what it ended up being was a floating Island. I think there was a, originally there was a tree in the middle, like Labiata. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it was a sky viking. I think after our teacher told us that, we kind of ripped some things back and went, okay, what are we doing? And then we, I think we landed on sky vikings. But um, I suppose that's a good argument for accountability. Like that was someone external coming at you being like, guys, you do not have the time or the skill level to stick the landing on that. Yeah, yeah. That was really helpful to have him be like, you are going to face plant if you try this. You know, what's really helpful advice is when people say, I couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> if, you, if you respect their work and they're telling you that they wouldn't be able to accomplish that in the time that they had, you'd be like, ah. Uh, I'm pretty... Did, did he say that as well? I'm pretty sure that's sort of what I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good times. Good times. <laughs> and then this other... I think the other group ended up doing this like really cool like outback western um, borderlands style thing. And we were just like, maybe we should aim a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was there was a few cool ones um come to yeah. think of it someone uh, else ended up doing like an underdarky glowy mushroom thing might be what oh, you're thinking oh i remember that that was cool yeah i you know what i had forgotten that completely until <laughs> anyway it was now. a couple of years ago but a bit more than that, yeah the point being that it was a big job and not only had we overestimated our ability to get it done, but you also can overestimate other people's commitment to getting it done. And that that's another story, but it does, it, it does feed into scope creep. It's like, yes. do you have external accountability or do you have internal liability? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. One, one of the issues in that project was just, people saying yes that'll be done and then not done it was done. not done yeah and it was not done and that's where the dates come in that's very much like this will be done by now and then your production manager gets like a you know vein popping out on his forehead when you say it won't and you were the production manager more oh, or less was equivalent I? I guess i must have repressed that yeah, I mean, you were the you were like the engine guy. You were you were the guy in the engine, and you built the terrain from memory. I did yeah. like the hero prop, which was the house. I think the house thing, the Viking house. Yeah, the yeah, less said right. about that, the better. I think it. I was not <laughs> honestly that proud of the final result. Neither was I. But Neither was yeah. I. But it's, it was, it was a, good a good lesson. Process. It was a good lesson in what happens when you don't account for these factors and allow scope creep to run rampant and that i think it it does all come back to experience and it comes back to applying that experience because there's no sense doing something and running into a problem only to do something and run into that same problem again yeah yeah um and i I think that's the lesson to take away with that is just the quicker you can hit all the problems, the quicker you will have seen them before. Yeah, so if you're new and you're starting out, um, feel free to face plant uh, as much as you want. You need right that exploratory. Now. Yeah, that exploratory yeah. time where you just try stuff. And don't button it down too early. Don't take it too seriously. Just throw stuff up, get people's opinion early. Because if you try to be perfect the first time out of the gate, you will fail. Yeah, and that's something Chris and I can really attest to. That that is our timeline. It is trying to be perfect and failing. Yeah, like we we have tried to be perfect in a lot of the things we've done, and uh, I think probably about nine and a half times out of ten, to maybe even ten times out of ten, it really just bites us in the ass. And it just leaves you with half the work of somebody who doesn't care as much, and that that stings when you see somebody who does not care about the thing you love but is producing better work than you because they're just getting it done yeah 
Don't be like us, Sonny. Yeah, like in the intro we said, uh, learn from our mistakes because we've made plenty and we'll be sharing all of our bad laundry here. (laughs) Speaking of, uh, if we're going into a bit of the meta context, we had had a question from one of the listeners on the last podcast, didn't we? Ah, yes. The uh, the famous G-bread, garlic bread himself, uh, the faithful listener. Uh, he asked Chris a question uh, to go in a little bit on on what you had touched on the last podcast is that Garlic Bread is an animator himself and he wants to know more about the exercises that you are doing uh, as an animator. So over <laughs> cool, to yeah, you, no. Christian. Uh, I, get, I, guess, I guess I covered a little bit of what I've done that has not worked a little bit earlier in the podcast as in like what I would say that I found through the exercises that I was doing was that being realistic about the time you give them and also being able to abandon practice as practice and not take it through to a final thing that's probably the major takeaway I've had through those um I guess I can take you a do you think it'd be interesting to walk through the process of how I, how I sort of approach those exercises? Yeah, I mean, go. Th- I, I suppose just yeah, give them as much as you can. Uh, uh, how yeah. do you approach it, and what are they? Well, entering the animation nerd zone. <laughs> nerd. We, I've got a uh, notebook where I've written down a bunch of prompts. So I've just gone through and I've thought about stuff that I want to practice, stuff that I'm not good at, uh, any sort of like little little game animation or animation that I haven't done that I would like to get better at. And I've numbered those and I actually just roll a dice. Uh, when I'm starting a exercise, I roll a couple of dice and then the sum of those dice, I look at that number and then that's the exercise that I do because right. that takes away the executive sort of function I have to decide what to do now and it provides you with a challenge so if if you don't really want to do that in that moment you have to find a creative way to approach it you know that's kind of representative of what it's like to be in an industry you could really feel like doing one particular thing but your boss goes no you yeah are, you get cast on something you are doing worse this. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a really good way to sort of I suppose simulate the industry yeah, and I think I'm at the point now where I haven't done everything on the list, but I might have to shake the list up a little bit because it, it's supposed to target areas that I feel a little bit weak in and I feel a little bit stronger in a couple of those areas now and I'd like to put some other stuff on that list. So, I don't know. Let, let us know uh, Let us know either in the comments or emailing us if you'd like me to share that list of animation prompts because, I mean... I. It wouldn't take me long to just pretty it up a bit and share it as like a, a resource, but I'd have to probably digitize it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it, honestly. Um, so so what are these these exercises? Here, I've got it. Where did I put it? Uh, oh, sorry, it's in the other room. Um, it's, it's a list of... So I've got six columns. Yeah of 1 to 20. Each column is a different topic. So I've got 
general body mechanics. I've got, you know, common game animations. I've got stuff that I'm not so good at, stuff that I want to work on. And each of those six, I, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but each of those six is a is 20 animations that I could think of a prompt for that. Mm-hmm. And so I'll roll a D6 and then I'll roll a D20. And right. so then it lands on one to six. That's the column. Then you roll the D20 out of 20 prompts. That's the exercise you do. Right. And so those exercises that you're doing, what, yeah. what what's the timeline for those? This is the thing. I'm still sort of dialing it in. Um, because of the nature of it, different prompts take different amounts of time. So for instance, I've got a walk cycle on there. I've done a million walk cycles at this point, but I still find stuff to learn in those walk cycles. And that's the thing with the randomness. If you get the same thing twice, then you have to think more creatively about it mm. and like approach it differently. But I suppose something not like even you can still do the same thing. It's just drilling the same thing and to be a habit even further but it's kind of whatever you want to get out of it i suppose yeah and i would recommend making it a bit more interesting than that because it can get pretty dry pretty fast yeah um the the main the main timeline like you asked is that i thought that maybe if i could do each like a block out for each of those things in an hour it would generate enough uh, projects that I can then go back and polish if I want to go practice polishing. Yeah, okay. And mm. so I was sort of trying to generate enough of those. But the thing was that some of them do take a bit longer. So for instance, walk cycle, I can do in an hour. Mm-hmm. But like, I think I had on there like, uh, what was another one? Like vaulting jump or like uh, dying animations for games or something like that. Mm. That requires not only a bit more thought, but a bit more context. And you have to think about the character. You have to pick a rig. Um, there's usually props involved, which means you have to set up your constraint networks. That's what's been sort of stalling me on those a little bit, because if you have to make a bunch of decisions around it and actually set up the scene, not just like, you know, import the rig in a pose and then get to animating it's longer than an hour. So actually what I have been, I've started implementing, but cannot talk to the uh, efficacy of it yet. Cause I haven't really st- stuck the landing on it because you've been doing those uh, three day, uh, what do you call it? The props. Mm. What I was thinking was breaking down these exercises into first session. I do all the planning reference gathering and scene setup. Yeah. Second session, I do the block out. Third session, I do a bit of polish. And then maybe I'll put another session on the end for like rendering out and finishing. Mm. Which does bring it out to probably like what if I'm doing that within a day or within four days, depending on how I break it up. Mm. It does bring it out a little bit more, but you know, the whole sum is better than nothing. Just because I can't get something out in one day doesn't mean that I'm not gaining speed by doing it. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like practicing the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and so, it's getting to the point where I'm comfortable just throwing stuff down and seeing what sticks because mm. it's it's tricky because I did a series of lectures with a bunch of really proficient animators earlier in the year. I talked about it on the 
podcast. We did some workshops. Um, A lot of their advice was really good acting advice. A lot of good, like, how to get into the head of your character and really be that character. And including that stuff in... Including that stuff in a body mechanics shop, for instance, it helps, but it's not always the best way to practice, for instance. Like, Mm. do I need to know that this guy's hungry when he's doing a jump? You know? (laughs) And so dialing that in and finding the balance there is what I'm really working Mm. on because I love getting into that stuff. I love, like, you know, it's cold out, and so he's probably a bit more, like, you know, drawn in towards his core, you know, while he's doing this thing and, mm. or like, he's just had a breakup. And so he's doing this thing, but he doesn't really want to be there, you know, like acting stuff. Yeah. Telling but stories. What I'm trying to figure out is when I'm doing these exercises, if the over under is actually like, am I doing the exercise for the exercises sake to get through the pipeline? Yeah. And do I have to be you know, thinking in that animator mindset rather than the technician mindset Yeah, all so, the time. So that's sort of what I'm playing with at the moment. So what So what would you would say for, for Garlic Bread at the moment is that what you're doing now is you're doing something similar to the prop thing where you've got approximately four days and each day represents another part of the pipeline. And yeah. the end result isn't so much what is the important thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, a polished turd or anything like that it can just be sort of whatever whatever the the important part is the practice of the pipeline of you go well i start here and then i go here and then i go there and then i wrap it up here at this and then that is the theoretical pipeline and you mm. are practicing that at a repetition of every four days or whatever it is and at the moment yeah i'm, st- I'm at- still in the first few so i'm still yeah. sort of dialing it in I wouldn't take that four-day number as Bible verse at the moment. because oh, totally, yeah. For me, I, I kind of picked three days out of ambiguity. Yeah, I'm sort of trying to break it down into what I anticipate I can do, how yeah. long it's taken in the past, and then sort of taking a bit of time off that to try and, like, hustle me up a little bit. Yeah. So, but can you, can you break know, those... It's... Can you break those four days down a little bit again, just so that... We can really sort of crystallize at, at this point where it is. Like you can say it's going to change, but how is it for you at the moment? At the moment, the first session is a lot of, well, it's obviously finding out what it is I'm going to animate. So I roll up a prompt. Mm-hmm. Then I do a lot of like reference gathering. So for instance, the one I'm working on at the moment is a freestyle swim. Mm-hmm. So I've decided to do it in a layer-based approach, which means that I'm sort of isolating parts of the body and sort of layering the movement in because it's easier than doing pose to pose and it makes it feel a bit more fluid. Right. So yeah. I've made that I've made that decision. And so then I've decided with that decision in mind, what references do I need? It's COVID, so I can't go to the pool and film myself swimming. Um, I probably am not the best swimmer in the world. So I went to um, this what do you call it? Uh, Speedo YouTube channel. They have a uh, bunch of form videos um, for different strokes. Mm. And so then you can um, just screen cap those and put them in your reference file. And then you can go in and really like dissect what's going on with that movement and mm. then cross-reference that with any other like pose photos and that sort of thing you can find. Mm-hmm. First day is very much just reference gathering, idea generation, and processing that reference into a plan. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, second day will be blocking out, getting the the layout, the scene together. It'll be uh, sort of figuring out all the constraints or the selection sets on the rig. So you bring the rig in and you start sectioning it out. I use Animbot, so that's um, that's the other thing. I'll return to that in a moment. In a moment, but the workflow I've got at the moment. I have started implementing a bunch of tools that are more professional tools. So I'm not just using vanilla Maya at the moment. I am putting in stuff like Animbot and Pose Library and a bunch of other um, tools that they use pretty commonly in industry positions, which is slowing me down a little bit because I'm having to learn that It'll speed as I apply later. it. It will speed me up later. I already see that yeah. the workflow is better. It's kind but of the it equivalent has... of me sort of going, okay, I'm going to figure out my baking now. It'll take a little bit of time to do that now, but it'll speed me up later on. And that's sort of what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I, I've added some tools, so I'm aware that there's some ambiguity there mm. that's going to slow me down a little bit. Um, mm. If anybody's interested in the tools that I'm using now, we can go into that as well. If anybody leaves a comment, we can definitely address that. Um, the second, The two following days to the sort of layout and blocking day is just animating. There's a whole day for just animate, animate, animate. And then the final day is more animation and polish. And then maybe maybe another day for prettying up. Right. And that, so that's just to get, for at the moment, a swim cycle out? Uh, that's the plan, yeah. Mm, right. Because um, you can polish until the end of the, end of the earth. And the thing is that your choice of rig when you're practicing does dictate that as well. Like say if I go and get, you know, the Malcolm rig from Adam school, which is like this really heavily controlled, like very uh, minute detail rig. It's going to take me longer than if I just use like the body mechanics, you know, um, Dex rig, you know, who doesn't have a face and he's just a bunch of blocks. Yeah. Okay. And so at the moment you've got four days to do this swim cycle. Yeah. Uh, what what's what's next? I, I don't know if you're thinking about next yet. So you're going to well, I'll roll it up. Continue. Next. What, so the other kind of things that you're doing are they going to be along the same line as a swim cycle, walk cycle, you know, weapon reload or whatever, or are they also going to be larger things, kind of like um, I don't know, a short clip of something like a it's more story that's the that's the thing i talked about it i talked about it a li- little bit last podcast but what i'm doing is that for my practice i am bringing it back down in simplicity i am sort of targeting individual like there might be emotions like a double take or like a going from happy to sad or you know um one phrase if i'm practicing dialogue that will be included i haven't got that on my chart yet but as i said i'm probably going to add some stuff in there okay yeah. uh, but it will be those very tight controlled single things that aren't necessarily made for showing but they are good practice and so what i've been mm. doing after my sort of project account thing that i did is separating my practice from my proficiency I don't want my practice to be intended to be showreel pieces. They, they they are allowed to be crap. And Which if they're crap, very that's fine. to accept, but yes. Yeah. And that also means that then 
I'm not creating portfolio pieces, which is an issue. Mm. For anyone thinking of doing uh, a three-day or four-day or whatever it is sort of uh, practice run, uh, first of all, I highly recommend it. I'm into my fourth asset now, and it is going really well. Uh, the f- although I do have to kind of warn you is that it can be difficult if the first one, at least the first one or the first couple, are shit. Because the, the, the aim of this is not only is it to practice the, the pipeline, but it is to get small wins. And even just starting and finishing something, even if it's shit, that's still a win. Oh, definitely. It's hard to see that it's a win when it looks like dog crap. And so I... Can I just interject there? Yeah. That's how I learned how to draw. Like, I forget this sometimes, which is to my own detriment. But the way I learned how to draw was that one day I looked at what I was capable of drawing and laughed. I was like, I am so bad at drawing. Let's see if I can badly... Let's see if I can badly draw a bunch of other things. And I spent, it was like a summer break during university, just drawing. But because I was being entertained by how bad my drawings were, I got more drawings done that summer than I've ever gotten done since. I don't believe it. You being entertained with how bad you are at something? I don't believe it. it It was a mindset that I got into that I've never actually been able to re- acquire <laughs> i think it's it the was ability really i think the ability to just laugh at yourself and not take be, being able to at certain times just to not take yourself too seriously i think that's a superpower which the, is the why times sometimes, when i can do that is just the best times yeah that, that's the exploratory phase that i talk about like sometimes if you can alleviate the need for this to even eventually be something that is required to make you money Mm. that's usually when you can get to that place better. The problem is when it becomes your primary skill. And so not only is it the thing you do the best, but it's also the thing you're technically worst at because you're still not quite at the level where you should be relying on it to earn you money, but it's also what you're spending all your time on. That's when it gets tricky. Yeah. And I think what can be really, what I was getting at before is what can be really difficult is that you're practicing at something and it's hard, like it's turning out looking pretty bad and you're just going, what am I doing? Why did I start? Why do I bother? You're trying to, you're trying to go like, yeah, I'm getting practice at the pipeline, but like the end results are so crap. And you kind of get that really demotivated. It's like, you don't even get that win. You really have to actively remind yourself that no, you did get a win because you have practiced the pipeline. It just means that you need to expand that out a little bit to get a polished version. What you're trying to get out of you this can definitely... is the process of the doing. And so for me, um, the first project that I did was Japanese Stoneland, and that turned out like shit. I nearly didn't continue with the three-day project um, after that one because I was just looking at it being like, this is... This sucks. What am I doing? Should I even be an artist? Should I be a game artist? Like, should I even bother? <laughs> I, I questioned myself hard because yeah. like, this sucks. And then the artistic intrusive turns, thought is real. 
Yeah, and then and then I did another one, and it just so happens that the second one, because I thought, okay, I've got to really pull this back, really pull it down to something simple, and I did a, a sort of stylized fantasy um, uh, beer mug stein uh, type thing, and I did a bit of you know research on how to paint the materials and stuff like that, and um, I got down to the nitty gritty of it, and it turned out really i think really well it still needs a little bit more polish and just like some of the edge highlights and scratching and stuff but it's like it's like 98 percent there and because i got that win i'm like oh awesome like i can actually this is worth doing and yeah so and I think, when you get those quick wins it does inflate you a little bit to get you through the rest of the hard stuff you have to do yeah but I, do, I do think that you can under scope and i think that's when you're not getting those quick wins yeah so and so when i when i went so, so when i go forwards now i can look back at some of my better projects and actually go no this is worth doing because uh this turned out really well and that wasn't the intention for it to turn out really well the intention was to learn the pipeline and so not only did i learn the pipeline in that instance but it turned out really good so there is a point in continuing what do you feel about that do you feel like if you look at your old work and you like it do you think that's good or bad because for me i've always been a little bit hesitant because if i look at something and i'm like hey actually that's not bad and i did it like two years ago or something i'm a bit like could i do that (laughs) now and then Uh, if i you know like and and you get to this point where it's like am i improving (laughs) here's the thing i don't know if i have really had that like i've had it in a sense where i can look at it and i can go oh that's pretty good but then i can point out the things where i'm like mm, that's not really that great yeah that's not really mm, that's kind of lacking there yeah. or whatever so i kind of look at it and i go that's pretty good and i appreciate it for what it is but i can also see where you know it does lack and when i can pick up those things that's how i know i've improved yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's an artifact of having a bit of an eclectic skill set, because like you you might be turning the burner up or one thing more in a particular season. Yeah, I mean, I have I have explored many things, which has been a good and bad thing to do. It's been good to sort of really figure out what I want to do, but it's also been bad in terms of man, I could be working for a couple of years by now, but. Um, you got to be where you are. Like that, that's actually good advice as well for anybody listening. Mm. You got to be where you are. If you're not where you wanted to be or where you can see a path to where you're being or like where you would like to be, it's fine. Like don't beat yourself up on that just cuz there's a theoretical better version of yourself that could be a lot of different places. Just accept that where you are is where you are. <laughs> you can't change the past and you can't steer a parked car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you got to move um but you know at the same time i'm pretty happy with uh the things i have done because i've learned a lot from them i have practiced a bit of character art and i do actually really enjoy characters and every time i think about character art i do have to sort of resist that urge to jump on that bandwagon i think Um, there is a bit of cg masochism that comes into play like i've seen it with so many people like you get that rhetoric from everybody when you're starting out like you can barely make a cube do what you want it to do and you do want to do characters and everybody's like 
characters is so flooded you're better off doing something that nobody wants to do you, you know don't go into the thing that's actually interesting because it'll be a flooded field and you're like okay yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll start on something else i'll be a lighter or i'll be a, like a prop designer or something like that and you really yeah. focus on that and then nobody ever like fires that gun that's like the starter gun's like now you can start working on the thing you want to do and so for the rest of the time you're there unless you get that opportunity you're there like oh no you know i'm not an amazing prop designer yet so i haven't i haven't paid enough to be a character designer meanwhile you know sally jenkins is sitting there just designing characters and she gets a job doing it yeah i mean it's got to be someone that does it right um but, why not you? Yeah, why not you? <clears throat> I think for me, it's like characters is something I am really interested in. It's something I do want to go into later on, but it's not the thing that I want to do now. Mm. It's like environments are the things that I've always wanted to do and it's what I do intend to. But it's like when I... But that's I, good though. I, I was it... never interested in characters. Characters never... I never gave a crap. And then I Here, did here's my character at school... And I was like, oh, this is fun. And I've done a little bit of character stuff since. And well, that's, really that's the exploratory it. phase. That's like when you do yeah. discover that stuff. But here's the thing. If, if you wanted to be an environment artist, you didn't want to be anything else, and you couldn't foresee a way to be anything else, that's going to be one of two things. You're going to become that thing very fast and get bored. Or you're going to put that thing on such a high pedestal that you'll never feel like you've actually accomplished it. Yeah, you have to have other interests and places to move and places to grow if you're going to actually be an artistic creative person otherwise you will get artistic like ruts you will, yeah, you will I, get stuck and you will not know why <laughs> yeah I, I feel I feel like with goal setting goals super super important things but I think that when you are approaching a goal you should probably start planning your next goal so that when you get to that goal, you don't get there and go, yay, I'm the king of the hill for one day. And then you kind of go, you look at your watch and you go, right? Yeah, it's, anyway. it's like that It's like that Simpsons gag where it's like, I got to climb the Matterhorn. And that's like, that's right. It's that one over there, right next to the one you're looking at. That's right. Right next to the one that you're now looking at. <laughs> Yeah, it's like probably keep your eye on, you know, goals that you're currently working towards, but, you know, kind of think as you're approaching that, what's a goal after that? Because I've had that sort of moment before where you set a goal, you reach it, and you're like, yay, I'm the king of the hill. And then, like, two minutes later, you go, kind of boring up here. But also do not idolize the thing you're trying to do too much. For me, that's very hard in animation because there are some, both in history and contemporarily, very good animators. Like people who can do stuff that I can't even begin to understand. And it's very easy to put that up on this level of unachievability. And it's like, oh, they're that kind of animator and I'm this kind of animator. And I think when you have that kind of rhetoric, it does slow you down because you're not moving towards the actual end goal quick enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're rambling off into the distance, don't you think? Uh, yeah, it seems pretty distant. 
It's the path right next to the one you're looking at. The one that is going off out into yonder. Well, well, then do you mind if I segue into the plug zone a little bit with a little bit of a ramble and then I'll turn it back around? Yeah, yeah. Go into the plug zone. What's the plug zone? Well, we're talking about scope creep and accountability and something that I sort of meant to fashion as I was uh, finishing off talking about my animation uh, journey is that I've separated my practice and my proficiency. Whereas the practice is the thing that I know I want to do and want to repeat, repeat, but uh, the proficiency is the thing that requires me to actually get a result. Hmm. That's the thing that I need a lot more accountability with. And so I'm currently in the position to do some pretty radical accountability and I I've got a bit like we'll see how much of this makes it into the final podcast but <laughs> you might might have noticed that Autodesk changed their pricing recently I haven't Again, paid attention but sure they've decided to do this uh, token system where in addition to the ungodly expensive subscriptions you can get to their creative software you can also buy tokens which means that if you buy the tokens, then you can pay one token to use the software for a day. The problem is you can't buy enough tokens for the right amount of money to make it worth the subscription because the minimum amount you can buy is like 5,000 for like 1,500 US. What the hell, Autodesk? It, it reeks of somebody tried and then somebody else found them out. Uh. Like they, they, they were almost achieving something. But then somebody got in there and was like, but what if greed? <laughs> uh, and so that's that's quite... That's sort of like tweaked my little justice bone a little bit. Um, <laughs> SJW. Uh, which means that I am now reconsidering my personal future with Autodesk products, much as I did with Adobe back in the day. Mm. Uh, and so it has become clear that whether or not I use it professionally in future, I will have to at least know a bit of Blender, uh, a bit more Blender than I do know, especially when it comes to animation. And so the reason being that when I'm not using Maya professionally, I might not necessarily want to pay $2,500 for the privilege. So I've reached out to this guy called uh, Piaric Pico from P2 Design. He is the fantastic animator behind the tutorial series Alive, which is character animation in Blender. It came out earlier in the year. He's given me permission to film my attempts to get through the course and sort of narrate uh, as I go along and screen capture and sort of share the journey of me returning to Blender and doing those tutorials. And so I'm going to be haven't got the channel sorted out yet, but I will be uploading that to YouTube. Um, whether it's in sort of edited, more formalized video, or whether I do it sort of as like a live stream sort of situation is yet to be established. I but that's, that's really something. Cool. Yeah, it's. I'm kind of excited about it. I'm throwing it out there to make sure that I've got a bit of public accountability. Yeah. Please I, ask me about it. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think doing that sort of review about the this course or, or tuto- these kind of tutorials are a really good way for, well, first of all, for you to kind of rationalize the thing that you've just done 
so that you can kind of have a bit more conscious awareness of it. But also, it's going to be really helpful for other people, like garlic bread, uh, to decide if this course is something that they want to do. Well, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, at, at the moment, it's more around trying to... Doc- it's, it's, it's another documentary, right? This is a documentary of our process of getting good at CG art. This will be a documentary of the process of me transitioning into a position where I can use Blender as my daily drive if I decide that I want to. I'm not going to stop doing my animation exercises in Maya. That those practices are going to stay the same because that's the tool that everybody uses in the places where I'm looking to get work at the moment. Yeah. But the wind, the winds of change are coming and I want to be on top of that wave. And I think this is a cool, fun way to do that. And I hope that it does help some other people who may be considering a similar decision. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that the last time I used Blender was like 2.6. So it's going to be a bit of a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> You're in for a whirlwind because 2.8 was great. Yeah, and yeah. Honestly, um, I'm I, thinking the channel will be called uh, Third Draw 3D, by the way. Third Draw 3D. Okay, well, we when that channel is up, we will let you all know. Um, I, spooky spook. Spooky spook. Um, you know what? Why not? I'll, I'll put something out there as well. Um, I've been thinking at some point I'll have a channel as well. I'm unsure at this point what precisely the content is going to be but I'm thinking I will have some narrated time lapses of me going through my process of creating these props and these 3-day challenges just to give people a sort of idea of how it's all working for me and how I'm improving. Uh, So I'll probably, I don't know, do that at some point in time. I'm just not confident enough to do it yet. Um, So Chris, do you, will you be uploading... uh, uploading that list of things for garlic bread or anyone else interested (laughs) well let's not let's not go putting it entirely on our friend garlic bread there um i'll say that i am going to try and make it look a bit more uh professional than a scrolled list in my notebook (laughs) if anybody's interested in me uploading that it won't be on the show notes for this podcast but it may be in the next if we get some interest around it because there's no point in me throwing up, uh, throwing it up and getting it to a point where other people might want to look at it if nobody's going to look at it. That's just a lot of work that I have to do that I don't particularly want to do unless there's some interest. So let me know. If I get three interested people, I'll throw it up. All right, cool. Well, you heard it there, folks. <laughs> um, Chris, where can they find you on Heartbeat? Where can they find you on social media? You can follow me at Animator Chris anywhere on the internet and soon Third Draw 3D. Ooh, Third Draw 3D. All right, well, you can find me on Twitter at JSTO underscore art and on Instagram at Jaden.ray, spelled R A I. See ya. Bye.